I'm going to talk this morning about a subject that very few people have opinions about, don't really care about, have no interest in, and that's the mass media. So it is a subject that is a hotbed of, uh, of opinions. It is full of opinions. But uh, I want to talk about what's happening with media and what God, I believe, wants to do. I believe we're at a unique and exciting time in America where um, all of these, these seven areas of influence that, we've talked, that we're talking about in this series... I believe this is one of them that rapidly Christians can have a significant impact in because it is changing and it is in flux. Media is, is in a rapid state of change right now. When I was a kid, uh, there were three major television sources for news. Um, and most of the coverage was local stories. Now, how many of you remember when there were only three? How many remember when there wasn't cable TV, like me? How many remember being the remote control? I was the remote control at times, yes. That was the remote. I remember I was excited when we got our first remote, and, and it was a weird remote, but it was like a little touch scan thing, but it had like a 50-foot or 75-foot uh, phone cord that attached to the cable box, so we'd trip over it all the time. I don't know how many of those, those times we had to tape that thing back on there, but uh, I was so excited once we finally got a remote, that meant that I didn't have to go change the channel for Dad in between all of his stuff that he wanted to watch. Well, now we don't even need a remote. I can change the TV channels from my phone. What a weird, I mean, I'm not that old. I'm old, but I'm not that old. You know, but look at how much technology has changed within that, that span of 42 years. 43 years now. Amazing how, many, how much during my lifetime things have changed. The media has changed. Media is no longer one directional. Remember that? It used to be one directional. And the anchor would sit there, and he'd read the news, and then you'd listen to it, and it was done. Now, media is multidirectional. <clears throat> Today, the internet and cable television's 24-hour news cycle has radically changed how we consume media. You can now post on stories. You can read others' thoughts about the stories. Um, you can enter a discussion about the stories. You can even report the news as it happens. We have constant news feeds available to us all the time. We now hear about stories as they unfold in real time. I was talking to somebody in between services. He said, yeah, you remember, you know, they used to say, uh, they'd say, uh, breaking news story, and, uh, you know, they'd start their 4 o'clock news, and they'd say, you know, coverage coming on the ground at 5, because they had to go get the trucks and go out there and drive out there to the scene. Well, now people are out there with their smartphones, and they're just recording it live, shooting it to the to the TV stations. They asked for that. You can find out what's happening sooner through Twitter and Facebook than you can through traditional news sources. You, found out about, uh, you can find out about news happening on Twitter and Facebook faster than you can going to you know, Fox or NBC, ABC, CNN, any of those sources. Our traditional news agencies and newspapers, magazines, they're struggling. They're trying to figure out how to, be, to reinvent themselves, to keep themselves relevant in this changing culture. News has become decentralized, and the internet and mobile devices are changing the distribution of that media and the consumption of it. There's no other time in modern history where people have had the ability to influence so many others directly through Facebook, Twitter, blogs, and other avenues of social media we can influence hundreds of people or scores of people sometimes by touching a box on the screen and pushing send or enter or post or tweet. 
God has plans for us to impact others for him. Due to this rapidly changing face of media, we can reach scores of people faster than ever before. Technology is amazing. Some people hate it. I love it. I enjoy technology. If I'm, I'm in a store and they got an electronic section, that's where I'm at. I'm looking at stuff. If it plugs in the wall, I'm interested. I want to know what it does. I like that Brookstone place. I can go look at all kinds of little gadgets and see what stuff does. You know, I just like it. I like technology. I'm connected with friends and family like I never have before. No longer do I have to know a phone number or schedule time to connect with each one. Now I can disseminate information to all of them and people I've never met before, for that matter, with a click of a button. People are accessible like never before in history. I remember on Facebook, it was a, an interesting moment and a cool moment for me. When I found out, when I first church, I was pastoring, a children's pastor at age 20, 24, I think I was, maybe 23. And my <clears throat> secretary there, was a wonderful name, lady named Sevilla who had grown children. She was, you know, her children were all grown, and she was, she was uh, my secretary. And it was so cool to me the day that Sevilla and I became Facebook friends because I would have never seen Sevilla again, never would have talked to her again. Now every so often I see something about Sevilla or about her kids or her grandkids. How cool is that, that we can connect to people like that? She's over in South Bend, Indiana. You know how often I go through South Bend, Indiana? Never. There's no reason to go over there. It's hot in the summer. It's freezing cold in the winter, and you get that lake effect snow, it just buries you. You have to dig your car out in a hole to get out to the road trench. I love Oregon. <laughs> just saying. Love Portland. All that beautiful rain, green stuff, ferns growing wild like it's supposed to be happening. You know, it's cool. I want to read to you a scripture. Oh, first of all, I want to tell you this. What a great opportunity we have as we have in our possession the most important piece of media that man has ever discovered, the Bible. It is unbelievable that God would give us this tool for life. It is awesome. You know, now my Bible these days looks a lot more like this because this is where I read my Bible mostly. And when I'm reading, it's showing me pictures at the bottom and it's showing me videos that I can see and I can see other people's thoughts about that scripture. I can scroll through. It's amazing what's at our fingertips today. The Bible is made up of books, poems, letters. It's the most important stories, the most important, most powerful, life-giving, life-changing, instructional piece of media we have ever encountered and you ever will encounter. It's an amazing piece of media. Hebrews 4.12 says this about the Bible. It says this about God's Word. For the Word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. You can't help but be changed if you seriously read this book and meditate on it. Think about it. Reflect upon what it's saying. It will cause you to change because the Holy Spirit works through this book. See, no other book has... God working through it. Other books are just great thoughts, nice thoughts. This thought is inspired by God, this whole book. And the Holy Spirit works through it to comfort us and encourage us. It, 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 it challenges us. It pushes us to be better. It was God's plan to use this form of media, 
the Bible to directly influence our lives with his story and distribute the good news about Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for these people that are here today. I don't believe that these gatherings are happenstance. <clears throat> There's a lot of other places we could be. Working in the yard, out with friends, away camping. But Lord, we're here gathered in this place today to talk about this subject. Lord, I believe every person that's here, there's something that you have that you want to speak. So Holy Spirit, I just pray that you'd guide and direct my thoughts and what I say, and you'd direct their hearts and minds to hear what you want them to hear today. God, I pray that um, you will be honored by what is said here today, Lord, that you will speak into lives, that you'll call people into this important field, that you'll use your servants, your children, to have impact through these, these available tools like never before in history. That you'll use our thoughts and our, our abilities to spread your love. Amen. First point. God will use media for good. We are people with good news. How about that? I love good news. I don't know about you. When people ask me, do you want the good news or the bad news? I just say keep the bad news and make up some more good news. I don't want any, just the good news. Keep bringing me good news. Even if it's not true, just make it up. I don't want to hear bad news. Nobody wants bad news. Nobody enjoys the bad news. But here's the great thing. We don't have bad news. We're people with good news. And the good news is that Jesus is alive and that he has a plan for our lives. It's only right that we share the good news that Jesus saves with others. It is greedy to keep it to ourselves. To know that uh, your eternity is secure because you've received Jesus in your life and you know that answer and to just keep that to yourself. Jesus instructed us to share this good news. He has taken the punishment for all of, our, for the, all of the sins of all people and anyone who accepts and believes in him they will be forgiven and accepted into heaven forever. That's pretty amazing news. I mean, if I'm just saying, it seems tweet-worthy. So, you know, maybe you could blog about it. If the psalmist lived in modern times, he may have written this following scripture this way. Look at the scripture with me. Psalms 96, 2 through 3, talks directly about the good news in media. Sing to the Lord and praise his name. Each day proclaim the good news that he saves. Verse 3 says publish. You could put in there tweet, post, blog, create a channel of communication, report his glorious deeds among the nations. Tell everyone about the amazing things he does. God does amazing things in our lives. We've got to share that stuff. And thinking about this good news thing and sharing the good news, I was reminded of an Old Testament story in 2 Kings chapter 7. It's a little bit of a lengthy story, but just hang on with me here. Um, verses 3 through 11, it says this. Now there were four men with leprosy sitting at the entrance of the city gates. So here they are, these four guys, incurable disease, stuff falls off your body, you lose fingers and 
your nose, all kinds of bad things happen. They're sitting out there so they don't get anybody else infected. And they're sitting there and they look at each other and say, why should we sit here waiting to die? They asked each other that and they said, we'll starve if we stay here. But with the famine in the city, we'll starve if we go back there too. So we might as well go over and surrender to the, to the Aramean army. And if they let us live, so much better. But if they kill us, yeah, we would have died anyway. So they're saying, hey, we've got nothing left to lose. You know, we're starving here. They, there's a famine in the city, so they don't have any food for us. They're not going to throw us anything. They're trying to take care of themselves. Let's go over to the enemies. Let's see if they'll capture us and at least feed us food. If not, you know, if they kill us so much, you know, we would have died anyway. So at, at twilight, they set out for the camp of the Arameans. But when they came to the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Aramean army to hear the clatter of speeding chariots and galloping of horses and the sounds of a great army approaching. They said, the king of Israel has hired the Hittites and the Egyptians to attack us. They cried to one another, so they panicked. They ran into the night, abandoning their tents, their horses, donkeys, and everything else as they fled for their lives. So when the lepers, you know, stroll up and they end up in the camp, they went from one tent after another after another, eating and drinking wine, and they carried off silver and gold and clothing, and they went and hid it. These four guys, you know, pay dirt. So finally they said to each other, you know what, this isn't right. This is a day of good news. And we aren't sharing it with anyone. If we wait until morning, some calamity will certainly fall upon us. Come on, let's go back and tell the people at the palace. So they went back to the city and told the gatekeepers what had happened. They said, we went out to the Aramean camp, and there was no one there. The horses and the donkeys were tethered. The tents were all in order, but there wasn't a single person around. Then the gatekeepers shouted the news to the people in the palace. Now here's the deal. These lepers were first responders. They were the reporters of their day. They were groundbreaking on the scene, saw it all there. Initially, they started to fill their pockets and, and were going to live large, but then they decided, you know what, I don't, I don't want to have bad things happen. I don't want calamity to fall on us. So let's go tell everybody. So they went out and told the people. And as Christ followers, as good as that news was, that not only they didn't have to worry because the famine was going, not only was their enemy gone, not only was there gold and animals and all kinds of great things for this whole nation to gather up. That's good news. But the real good news here for us is far better. We know what happens in the end. We know how eternity plays out and we know we can participate and be in heaven with God forever. They had good news and we've got good news. Isaiah 52, 7 says this, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news. The good news of peace and salvation. The news that the God of Israel reigns. Always interesting in the scripture, it doesn't talk about how beautiful the face is. You know, it's the feet. Now, I don't know about you. I'm not enamored with feet. They're not that handsome. You know, they don't get me interested. They're just, they're just feet. So you know there's some good news if you're excited about seeing someone's feet. That's all I'm saying. 
And I don't know if they're clean feet or not, but I'm just saying they've got some really good news if you're looking at their feet going, woohoo! They just walk down a mountain so you know they can't be clean. The feet of the messenger who brings good news. Good news of peace and salvation. Number two, there has been no other time in history where we have, we have such rapid and direct ability to influence others directly through media. Now, as I mentioned earlier, social media is rapidly changing how people discover their news. Matter of fact, the Pew Research uh, states that one-third of adults under the age of 30 get their news on social networks now. So a third of those people who are under the age of 30 get their news on social networks. As the tragedy in Moore, Oklahoma unfolded this week, Twitter became the quickest place to see the news unfold and clips of the storm were uploaded to YouTube within minutes. People on the ground at the event were the reporters. I want to read you a Pew Research article that I found. It was created on May 22nd. It said, citizen eyewitnesses provide the majority of top online videos in Oklahoma tornado disaster. So here it is. In recent years, natural disasters around the world have been chronicled in a new kind of visual journalism, often produced by citizen eyewitnesses and posted to the video sharing site YouTube. These videos represent a way of crowdsourcing a dramatic breaking news event, frequently before the professional journalist can arrive on the scene. So here, crowdsourcing is the crowd is the source. You know, normally with media, you've got to find your source. Well, they're going right straight to the crowd, and the crowd's posting stuff immediately. In the first 24 hours after the deadly tornado slammed into Moore, Oklahoma, around 3 o'clock on May 20th, these citizen journalists produced a majority of the most viewed YouTube videos that went viral after the tragedy. Now, going viral is a term that's used about something getting read or seen by a lot of people quickly. It gets a lot of hits on it. A lot of people checking it out. So according to a Pew Research uh, uh, search of videos connected to the disaster, in the 24 hours immediately after the tornado struck, the 10 most YouTube videos of the event were seen and combined 1.8 million times. So that's within 24 hours. Seven of those 10 videos, ranging from 28 seconds to 194 seconds, were shot by eyewitnesses unaffiliated with the news organization. The most popular one drew 600,000 hits in the first 24 hours, and it was taken by a resident using his smartphone, and the other one was followed closely by a video of a, uh, shot by a group of storm chasers. They go on to say this, with the growth of smartphones and technology advancement in online video, citizen journalists' role in chronicling major events has grown. Almost 40% of the most watched news videos in the, last, in the 15 months from January of 2011 through March 2012 came directly from citizens, 40%. Each of some of the videos bearing the logo of the news organization were originally shot by citizen onlookers, a sign of today's new kind of professional slash amateur news partnership. With today's technology, the whole world is a potential audience. What a great opportunity for us to influence others with this good news. We need to be ready to show God's love to others as opportunities come across our way and they arise. You never know when an influential moment will arise and you will have the opportunity to speak into something. After the aftermath, just after the tornado, I saw news people going around and doing live interviews with people and asking them 
you know, about the tragedy. And I heard several of them say to somebody, boy, you seem awfully calm for somebody who's experienced such major devastation. And I saw several people say, well, I am, you know, my world's been flipped upside down, but my trust isn't in these things. I'll find these things and we'll rebuild. But my trust is in Jesus and he's with me and he'll take care of me and he's going to help me through this. Reporters on the scene, they didn't know. Two days before, they had no idea a tornado was coming. They didn't know they were going to be on the news. You never know when God's going to give you an opportunity to share your faith. Imagine the power that spoke to the people in their, in their houses just shaking their heads going, how can you even say that? How can you even be calm? How can you even have a, that, that understanding that that would even be possible? 2 Timothy 4, 2-5 says this about being ready to share. It says, preach the good news. Be ready at some times. Nope. All times. Be ready at all times. Some versions say be ready in season and out of season. That's the English Standard Version says that. And tell people what they need to do. Tell them when they're wrong. Encourage them with great patience and careful teaching. Because the time will come when people won't listen to true teaching, but will find many more teachers who please them by saying the things they want to hear. Other versions say the people with itching ears, they just find people who say what they want them to say, and they listen to them. But you should control yourself at all times. Accept troubles. Well, that doesn't sound very nice. Accept troubles. Do the work of telling good news and complete all the duties of a servant of God. Troubles are going to come. We have to be ready. We can't let circumstances rattle us. We never know when God's going to throw an opportunity like those people had in Oklahoma, where they could speak about Christ and about His love and how He can help in the midst of turmoil, that He gives peace. When using social media, our message potentially could reach around the world and... Um, in the past years, it would take a missionary or an evangelist years to set a message out to the community. They'd go to a community and it'd take them years sometimes to get the message out. Well, today, it can just take days or even minutes. Today, you can tweet somebody and it will not only be read by your neighbors, but it can be seen all around the world. No longer do we have to actually go to Africa to share the good news about Jesus to someone in Africa. That's pretty amazing that from this device, I potentially could tweet something and somewhere anywhere in the world someone could read it if they chose to look at it. <clears throat> this, Foth, uh, this, uh, this week, one of, our, the fr- one of our friends of our church, Dick Foth, who speaks, his wife had a heart attack. And Facebook is how we found out about it. We wouldn't have known. But he, he mentioned on a, on a post, I believe it was this morning somebody read, that 65, he told his wife that 65,000 people had seen about her heart attack. And, and she said, well, I don't even know 65,000 people. And he said, well, they know of you now. You never know. I mean, that's quick. You never know how things are going to get shared. That's just from people sharing, sharing something. You know, you get something, you read it, and you click share. 
People obviously shared that. That's amazing. Proverbs 25, 25 says this. As cold waters to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. Isn't it cool that we can share good news and it can go to a far country just by clicking that button? You never know what God's going to do. You never know how God's going to use you, but be ready. Be ready, as that scripture said. Number three, last point. It's a long one, though, so don't get too excited. God is calling people to influence others through media. What are your posts, tweets, blog entries, poems, and critiques saying to the people who read them? Are they full of good news for a thirsty soul? Are they peaceful and loving? We need to be careful what we post. It's always wise to take time and ask yourself if this post is helpful or harmful. Technology is neutral. It just multiplies the message. This is just neutral. What comes through here, this piece of equipment is neutral. It just multiplies whatever messages people are sending out through it. The Gutenberg Press helped print the Bible. It was amazing. It was transformative to our world. It, that press brought the Bible into the hands of people who had never been able to read it prior. It was absolutely amazing, the Gutenberg Press. That same technology, though, is used to print pornography. So are we supposed to get rid of printing presses? That's not the answer. We need to saturate the market with good news. Much of cable news today has become arguments between pundits expressing differing subjects, differing views on subjects. Some people hate that. My wife doesn't terribly like, look at that much, but I love it. I love hearing all the... Especially Sunday afternoons. It's like golf for me. Some guys go home and they turn on golf. I go on and turn on the news channels and went... I'm out like a light. I am gone. The harder I try to focus on what they're saying, the quicker I fall asleep. Every week. That says something about how dysfunctional my home was as a kid. But you know, arguing, bickering, I don't know. I just, my mom and dad, that was her love language. It really was. So it's how they talked. But they loved each other. And they just like, but you know what? People get really wound up over that. They get really worried. Oh, I can't believe he's saying that. Oh, man. I don't believe there's much value in focusing our time and energy towards trying to quiet the opposition. Spending all of our energy trying to quiet them, get them to not talk. Instead, I believe we should spend our time as Jesus did. If you look at his life, you don't see him spending a lot of time silencing anyone but demons. You know. He didn't spend his energies trying to quiet the Romans or the Greeks or the Zealots or the Pharisees he didn't agree with. Instead, he focused on the freedom to bring his message to the people. Linda Cope wrote in her book, An Introduction to, Old to the Old Testament Template. She said this, We claim that culture family, individuals are being destroyed by television, movies, music, and mass media. But God says in his word that he has placed the authority with the individual. 
He has given his human creation the power to choose. So, individuals have the authority in this. Now, does that mean that media content doesn't matter? No, not at all. There is good content and bad content, good quality and poor quality, but at the end of the day, people watch and listen to what they want to be influenced by. The popularity of the given message is a reflection of the audience, not the power of the message itself. The power belongs to the individual, and when we embrace this, the way God created us to function, we embrace our role as communicators who offer people a choice. God's not interested in hiding evil. He's much more interested in us comparing light to darkness and helping us to discover we need to make a choice between the two. Rather than spending all of our energy trying to silence those we disagree with and and try to cover up the darkness, we should spend our time making our message available. Scripture indicates that the light actually has more impact in darkness. Let's read this, Proverbs 4, 18 and 19. This is in the message, which is a paraphrase. It's not a literal translation, but... This is, this is very close to what other versions say, and I just like the way he framed this. So I want you to hear this. The ways of right-living people glow with light. The longer they live, the brighter they shine. So people who live right, the, the, they glow with light, and the longer they live, the brighter they shine when they continue to live right. But the road of wrongdoing gets darker and darker. Travelers can't see a thing they fall flat on their faces. I like to camp. I don't do tent camping that much. Jenny's not into that. She wants a restroom at my campsite. So we have a little bitty, little, little trailer, 18-foot trailer, and that back pops open, and a, and a bed pops out, and it's got a bathroom in there. But when you bring your night light out at 6.30 at night, and you just pop it out there in the table, and you'll click, 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 and you turn the thing on, and you've got your propane light going out there, doesn't really have that much of, doesn't make that much of a difference. But the darker that it gets, you know, it gets to be 9.30, and that thing is just glowing the whole site. We live in dark times, and a little light goes a long way. God wants to use you. You're his ambassadors in this room. You don't have to get all preachy and in their face. That's not what Jesus did. He just showed love and taught, gave gentle correction, prayed for people, showed genuine concern. A little bit of light goes a long way in a dark world. God wants to send many professionals into the field of media to be a part of this important medium. Christ's followers need to influence others to be a, a light in this dark world. We are people full of light. I read uh, one author that said that they were, they were a, in, in the media field. They wrote uh, some information on this. And they said they went to a, a thing uh, where media gathered, and there were very, very few Christians there. Christians have abandoned, in some ways, this field. We need to get back in there. The darkening effects of sin and evil in this world are very real. However, I choose not to allow them to dictate how I live my life. I am not going to live my life surrounded in fear 
I'm going to live my life full of faith and hope, showing love and bringing honor to God in the way that I live. That's how I want to live. I've seen friends let fear settle in their hearts. Specifically about politics. Good leaders come, good leaders go. Bad leaders come, bad leaders go. It's not wise to be fearful and worry about who is in seats of power. I believe voting is very important and I vote. However, I don't put my trust in humans. I put my trust in the Lord. 2 Timothy 1.7 says this. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear and timidity. What has he given us? He's given us one of power, love, and self-discipline. Some say a sound mind. Some versions. That's what he's given us. You don't want to sit around fearful, fretting all the time about what some president's going to say or some congressperson. Isn't it great to know that no matter how difficult or frustrating news can be, we serve a God that transcends all of that? God can put peace that passes understanding into our hearts because Jesus put peace, peace, will put peace in our heart if, he, if we let him. We can choose whether or not we let Jesus put that peace in our heart. Philippians shows us what we should fixate on. Let's fixate on something good. Let's see what it says in Philippians 4.8. It says, Now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix. Fixate your thoughts on what is true, what's honorable and right, pure and lovely, admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Man, how do you do that more? <laughs> That'd be a lot happier. Sit there stewing about stuff that I can't even necessarily fix. We all do it. We have the potential of doing it for certain. But we have to think, oh, wait a minute. That's not what I need to spend my time thinking about. I don't need to sit about that. I need to think about these things. These things found in Philippians. Think about love. I need to think about what's pure, lovely, admirable. Things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Let me think about that for a little while. That's some good stuff. As we use media to influence others with God's love, we bring the good news of God's peace, love for us, and salvation. Now I want to share a testimony of, of how God is using one of the people of Horizon Community Church in this field of mass media. So a young lady that goes to her church, sharp gal, I really like her. I'll tell you what, she's got the right last name, so um, I'd, you know, I'd, I'll take her as a cousin or something, because this girl is great. Her name's Taylor Smith. Here's her story. She says, whatever you do for a career, do something that brings you joy. That's the advice my dad gave me when I was 13 years old. While I couldn't have told you what job interests me, I always knew that I love people. I love listening to people's stories. I love being able to celebrate another's successes. I love being the person who you can talk things through. I want to hear your questions. I want to be transparent about the gunk. I want to know the beautiful moments that make up the soft smile that spreads across your face the excitements, the hardships, the gunk. When I graduated from Indiana University in May of 2012, I knew my journalism degree would serve me well. My professors had taught me how to, about the narrative arc and how to find those golden nugget quotes. But the greatest thing I knew was from something I never found in a textbook. It's that everybody has a story, a God-given story, and a story, I believe, that is worth sharing. 
My classmates were eager to find jobs at prestigious media groups around the country. And to be honest, I could care less about the media. I don't watch news on TV, I don't like spending time on the computer, and I pass over radio shows that blast opinion-bashing personalities. But God has connected me with the media. He has given me the ability to articulate things well through the spoken and written word. After I returned from a three-month missions trip to the Czech Republic last summer, I could have spent hours poring over applications for news organizations, but I felt God calling me just to start writing, even if I didn't have a news platform to do it from. I began blogging about my faith, the family table, and the strong young women I admire. It didn't bring me money, but I was so encouraged by people who would tell me they had read something on my blog that had challenged them, challenged their perspective, or caused them to look at what faith means in their life. About three months into my blogging and some freelance writing, I received a call from the Oregonian asking me if I'd like to be a features writer in a year-long fellowship. I was stunned. The Oregonian was a paper I read since I was a little girl. The strange thing is, I hadn't applied for the job. The woman mentioned she had read my blog and she was interested in how I wrote about my faith. She asked me about how being a Christian influenced my writing. I could have backed away from her question, trying to change the subject in anticipation that a very secular newspaper would look down on my love of Jesus expressed through my writing. But I didn't. I told her about how I see people's stories as a woven together by our Heavenly Father, I told her that I respect each person's story regardless of what they've done because I believe we're called to love and that I love all people because God loved us first. I don't know if she was prepared for that response. I wasn't sure I was prepared for how straightforward I had been in my relationship with God and how he's the biggest part of my writing. It must have not deterred her because within a few weeks I was writing for the Oregonian. I have been features reporter focusing on the Hillsborough area for a little over four months, and I can honestly say that God has blessed me with every single person I've interviewed. And I've lost count of how many people I've talked to. Each day I'm blessed with someone's trust telling me their story, allowing me, letting me share the experiences with the community, allowing me to search in such fullness how God has made each of us so different yet so beautiful. While the media is a dark place and I feel attacked by the enemy almost every other week, which only means that we as believers need to walk into that battlefield even with even more fervor. Just because the media is secular doesn't mean we should avoid it. I've had the chance to talk to God with some people I've interviewed more than I would have expected, actually. But for those whose faith wasn't part of the conversation, I think that they can tell there's something different about me. I'm not a normal reporter. In fact, people have told me that. Some of us said the first time, some of us said it was the first time that their words weren't twisted, the first time they felt comfortable sharing intimate details of their life with someone from the media. When I hear these comments, I point it all back to him. Yes, I'm different. We Christians are different. We're not like the media who wants to expose shock and awe. We want to tell the truth, reflected through the light of his truth. When we do this, people will notice that there's something different, that we're called to something greater than this world. Look, awesome. God wants more Taylor Smiths in this, in this mountain, in this area of influence. There may be people in this room that you felt like God talked to you a while ago and you've been sitting on it, nervous about it, thinking, well, they're not going to take a Christian. 
Well, the Oregonian's not a Christian-centric paper, that's for certain. They didn't have any hesitation. After she told it, God used that and opened the door. God honored her bravery to share her faith with the Oregonian. And she's having great impact. And I believe God's going to use her to do something significant in this mass media market. 2 Timothy 1.7 says this. Verse, and it's about being bold and sharing your faith. It says this, God's spirit doesn't make cowards of us. The spirit gives us power, love, and self-control. Here's another example of how another individual is using social media to make a difference. It's a guy named Sean King. He was an AG pastor that uh, got heavily involved in trying to, to help Haiti after the, the massive earthquake. And uh, he, was, he was praying and thinking, and he felt inspired to use tw- Facebook and Twitter uh, to do something different. So he created this website called hopemob.org, and they tweet and they use Facebook to kind of get message out. And what they do is they share a need, they go check out the need, they make sure, it's, they vet it, make sure it's right, it's correct, and then they ask it once a day is what their goal is, and they ask generous strangers to support the need. 100% goes to the charity or cause. All the administrative costs are covered, covered by other donations. So he said, what if we had got all these generous people together, but instead of like saying, well, we're going to have to take this much to just try and make it work, you know, what if we were just to say every penny that that person asked for or that organization asked for, 100% of it goes to them, and we'll find other avenue streams to help facilitate that, to help support our infrastructure. Pretty cool idea. One of the biggest complaints you hear about, me, about, um, about charities sometimes is how much they spend on their infrastructure, how much it costs to run their stuff. Well, it costs something. It's not free, but he's found a unique way to do that. And so when, they, when people give, whatever amount they give, they'll ask, would you like to give to help Hope Mob staff to continue doing this? And they can give an amount to them as well. But they're, 100% goes to that. So uh, within hours of the tornado striking... Hope Mob had partnered with the Convoy of Hope and created graphics for a crowdsourcing campaign to help the city of Moore. They had matching funds lined up and hoped to raise $15,000 in seven days. Within 90 minutes, they had $5,222. In less than 24 hours, they had $31,500 from 184 people, plus an additional $10,000 in matching funds. This is not including money given directly to Convoy of Hope through all the other channels, uh, directly to them or through texting. Total giving for this Hope Mob project is right now, was last night, really, really late at night, over $45,000. It's a Christian with an idea. How can we leverage this media to help people? How can I make a difference? That's a creative solution that God helped them do. I'm not saying everything is, he does is right, I don't know him. But I do know this, that's a cool idea, and God's using it to help these people. So we're not taking an offering for Convoy of Hope today, but I do want to let you know this. If you would like to donate, if you have texting on your mobile device, you can take out your phone and move it to text, and you can text the word Convoy, C-O-N-V-O-Y, to 50555, and it's, it's 50555 and the word Convoy, and $10 will be donated to Convoy of Hope this morning. And it'll just be billed to your cell phone. 
But if you'd like to be a part of that, let me tell you what Convoy of Hope's doing. As of Friday, May 24th, 10 loads, truckloads of food, water, and relief supplies have arrived and more. And at least five more were scheduled to arrive on Saturday and probably more again today. 2 Timothy 4, 5 says this, but you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. Ministry is not easy. Ministry is uncomfortable. Serving God is uncomfortable. If you're looking for comfort, Jesus in your life, challenging you, is not going to make you comfortable. The very core of the sinful nature within us is to take care of ourselves, to look out for number one. To, to, you know, what can we do for me? Let's talk about me and how you can help me. That's the sinful nature. We're fighting against that all the time because the Bible's the opposite of that. Jesus tells us the last. You need to be last. You need to put yourself, put others first. Honor others more than yourself. Well, to do that, you're fighting against the sinful nature. You're fighting against what you desire. You're fighting against yourself. We've got we to fight. I know this. In my core, without Christ, I am sinful and I am selfish. I'm looking out for me. But that is not Jesus reflected through me. I've got to do better. I've got to be like that righteous living. I've got to constantly fight against self. And I'm not the only one because every one of us have a sinful nature and every one of us want to gratify our own selves. Want to take care of number one. God has bigger plans. He wants to use you to do something amazing. As I close, I want to, I want to just tell you a, a few things to keep in mind. If you decide to use social media as a place where you're going to influence others for, for Jesus, let me just, there's some just general tips for you to consider. First of all, when you desire to minister to social media, pray and ask God to guide you. Number one, pray. As you're getting on, you're sitting there looking at your iPad, your iPhone, sitting at your computer, Pray and ask God, reveal what you want me to do today. Who do you want me to bless? We were at a meeting this week, and one of the guys said, we were talking about being missional in life, doing things as a mission, being, being part of that. He said, you know, I'm not really good. I wish I was good at talking to my neighbors about Jesus. He said, I just, I just struggle. I'm awkward. He said, but you know, God's really used me through Facebook. He said, I really, uh, you know, I like writing things and and encouraging people and saying things to people. God uses me that way. And another person in the room said, hey, you know what, that's, that's, let me just affirm you in that. He said, I was over in Africa sitting in a dirt floor in my thing, checking media, and the words you sent me, I said, he said, we're not really good friends, but she said, the things that you said to me were so encouraging in that moment that I needed to hear. Isn't it cool how God affirms what he's put in us? We're not all extroverts. He didn't create us all that way. We're not all born natural leaders. He didn't create us all that way. He created us unique and distinct because we need every part in the body of Christ active. Not every one of you are called to media. But there's seven mountains. One of them you've got an influence in. What is it? Pray. Seek God. He's got a plan. Number two, be careful what you say. Post and share. If you share too many cute pictures of puppies and kittens or you put political pictures out there all the time, or sayings and stuff on you, you're probably going to, you know, all that spam, you're going to lose influence, and you're probably going to get blocked from people's stream. They're not going to defriend you, but they're just not going to look at your junk no more. So be careful what you're putting out there. Be wise what you post. 
Treat your friends and followers with respect and be careful spending energy arguing with people, especially people you don't know. You also represent your mutual friend that you're, you're posting on and you probably won't win them over through back and forth arguments. You win more flies with honey than vinegar. So I've seen people post on a friend's post. They have a mutual friend and they post on that and they get arguing back and forth. Not a lot of good comes from that. There's not a lot of bridges that are built that way. Do not waste energy arguing with people online. You're not going to win. Even if you win, you lose influence. Lose, lose. Number four, be careful what you repeat. Sourcing today's become sketchy. Ask yourself, is this, is what I'm repeating true and is it helpful? Not only is it true, is it helpful? And what I'm repeating, is there something help, helpful about it? Number five, look at opportunities to bless and encourage people. Read those streams. Pray. Let the Holy Spirit guide you to people to just report, just say something nice to them. Just say an encouragement. Hey, thinking of you today, I hope that, uh, hope things are going well. That could be it. And it may lead to a, to a back-end thing where you aren't doing everything. Not everything's to be public. That's one of my things. Maybe on the back end you're supposed to write them a little letter or a note. Not everything's for public consumption to be tweeted or to be Facebooked publicly. Some things you need to share privately. Don't say embarrassing things or argue with your spouse or kids online. Use the medium to speak well of them publicly and build them up. We don't need to be in your marriage business. You don't need to be about that. I don't want to know what you're fighting about. Take it, to the, take it to a private place and talk it out, for goodness sakes. Facebook is not your forum for getting support against your spouse and their opinions. I see it all the time. It's crazy. Maybe it talks about my friends that way. I don't know. Uh, let's see. A thoughtful, quick note to a friend or acquaintance on a birthday is great. You know, I love that on my birthday there was like 100 people who wrote a little thing, happy birthday. And some of them are like, oh, look at that. Oh, man, I haven't seen them forever. Boy, that's so cool they thought of me today. That means something. Pray for people. Post that you will be praying for them and follow up later and ask how things went. Follow up with people. Send friends encouraging notes through messages. Not everything's good to tweet. Remember once something is out there, you can't always take it back. And the 11th final one is reflect Jesus well. We're his representatives. Post online knowing that God uses your efforts. Act like we have the potential of going viral with what you say. Think who, you know, this, there could be, you know, 60-something thousand people that could see this, like false thing. You don't know. Post like that. Let's influence this culture as Jesus did. Build relationships with people, love them as he taught us, and influence them to follow him.